Welcome to In Theory, the podcast where we talk about the theories that help us make sense of the world. I'm Naran Khan. And I'm Maria Sachiko Sisteri. Today we're talking about the military entertainment complex. We'll kick it off by discussing how ISIS co-opted one of the most successful video games of all time. And this is going to get us to Top Gun, Katniss Everdeen, and Theories of Nationhood. All right, so a little bit of background. In 2014, ISIS, the Islamic State in Iraq and Syria, released a recruitment video um, which seems to be composed primarily or entirely of footage from a modded version of Grand Theft Auto V. Um, this version of it um, includes footage of a mass terrorist who's hijacking cars, he's shooting out of windows at other drivers, blowing up military transport vehicles in a kind of arid environment um, in some unnamed location. In, so in addition to the sounds that go along with all of that violence, there are also Muslim prayers in the background, which as the Muslim feels just ugh, it's totally sad and gross. Um, and a really interesting part of the video is that they totally acknowledge where this is coming from. The video is preceded by text that reads, roughly, we do the same actions in the battlefields as you produce in your games. Okay, so I just want to start by asking, have you seen the video? And if so, what do you think? It just made me feel super weird. First of all, I felt like I shouldn't have been watching it. Why? Um, because, like, like any sort of propaganda, I feel like it's to consume it is potentially a signal or something. Mm. And like, whatever your motivations might be, like, I felt like I needed to like exp- explain why I was watching it. I'd be watching it uh. for something else, you know. Like, I'm just kind of pretty sensitive to consuming stuff like that. Uh huh. Um, I assume you've seen it. I have, and for me, um, I thought it was kind of boring. Yeah. Um. Because, uh, as you said, um, it's a modded version of Grand Theft Auto. So if you've ever watched any Grand Theft Auto gameplay, it's much of the same. Yeah. Um, difference being, as far as I can tell, right, the kind of mass jihadist elements. But it's very repetitive. And this repeated version of the Grand Theft Auto uh, logo, yeah. but rewritten in Arabic for ISIS, mm-hmm. um, it's like really trying to hammer home a point, but in a super heavy-handed way, which did not feel very subtle or interesting to me. Yeah. Which, you know, I guess we're not here to critique the artistry of the ISIS video, but given <laughs> the, its purpose, yeah. maybe we should be, right? Yeah. If the idea is it's supposed to be this propaganda that sweeps young people and gets them excited about what ISIS yeah. is doing, then I think that, you know, it's maybe not the most effective. I guess I'll also say, like, I cannot relate to this at all. I can't find how, like, besides being boring, I just cannot figure out, like, why all this would be compelling. And maybe it speaks to my, like, disinterest in video games. Um, But, like, it's literally, like, I get that other people might be inspired by something like this or it might seem compelling to them. Mm -hmm. Like, everything about it just like I just cannot understand uh, I can't understand well maybe this is why the Daily Mail thinks it's only out to radicalize the vulnerable and you're safe thank god yeah <laughs> <laughs> um let's so let's jump into the rest of this Maria maybe you can kick us off with the kind of 
background? Like, what is the military entertainment complex? Okay, so very roughly, loosely speaking, um, it's the cooperation between entertainment industries and the military with benefits for both sides, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so some practical examples of that, there's been quite a lot of it in, uh, for instance, American history, um, mm-hmm. looking at, um, or more recently, um, the American government has been involved in creating video games of its own, America's Army, um, which came out in the early 2000s. In my own lifetime, there have been like more than a handful of movies that were created in collaboration with the Department of Defense. Um, so one example is Top Gun. And that was pretty, like, that was received really um, with enthusiasm or at least notoriety because they used real footage from, like, yeah. F-16s. I, I yeah. don't even know what an F-16 is, but, yeah, like, I do. whatever kind okay. of planes. My grandfather loves that movie, and I watched it literally, like, twice a year in my entire childhood. So Stop I know it. everything about it and can do the high five that Iceman does with Tom Cruise. <laughs> so prepare yourself. So you know. So yeah. you know. And it's, it's such yeah. an iconic part of American culture from the 80s, right, this Top Gun moment. Right. And, of course, also as part of a kind of propaganda for the American military, right? Yep. Um, so, I mean, I mean, like I said, like, that was one example where real footage made a huge impact. Um, but, like, more recently, Pearl Harbor, uh, Black Hawk Down, Zero Dark Thirty, which was created with some sort of, you know, consulting collaboration, fill in the blank, with the CIA. So, you know the military might lend their technical expertise and the studios might get free um, weapons, like simulation technology stuff or other kinds of expertise. Um, it's a match made in heaven. Yeah, basically. I mean, like, it's kind of it's kind of insane. And I guess, I mean, I guess in the vacuum, like, it might just seem like, oh, it seems pretty symbiotic mm. and, like, that's the way it is. But... I can imagine ways in which this is pernicious. And certainly well, this most recent example is really terrifying. Absolutely. And I mean, you know, like in the examples that you were talking about, right, the DOD had to sign off on the scripts, right, before they would be willing to give their assistance and technologies for the filmmaking, right? Yeah. So, and I kind of, I would read about that with respect to um, Battleship the movie. So the studio, uh, the DOD had kind of veto rights over the script and got some sort of, pre-screening opportunity for mm. that particular movie. But I can imagine that those, um, you know, those rules kind of play out in other ways. And, I mean, that's one example where we heard about the kind of collaboration. I'm sure there's plenty we don't know about. Yeah, absolutely. And, I mean, there's some interesting articles out there about that kind of stuff. Should you at home wish to look <laughs> at it, you can go to our website and find out more about it at intheory.us. Yep. US. There you go. Um, so, I mean, but then the, you raise a really interesting question about this particular version because, no, we're talking about that mutual cooperation between entertainment industries and military groups. Um, but would this video even count, right, is a good Fair. question because Grand Theft Auto presumably did not willingly sign up with ISIS to help them make a video. Yeah, I think their stuff was co-opted in a serious way. And we can't say, like, how they feel about it. But I, I'm not sure that consent or like actual true like uh consensual collaboration is a part of the definition like i think it's just how these um systems and industries like engage and interact with each other i totally agree i think that idea of mutual benefit is really important because um as we've seen video games like grand theft auto and so many others um have the possibility of modding them and modding means to modify right and to be able to kind of change the way in which the gameplay looks feels functions um according to your interests um and 
the fact that this game is was possible to manipulate in this way that um you know you can make videos out of your own gameplay which is something that's been going on for a long time there's a whole art form called machinima that's just all about that um you know that's really beneficial for the games that um people are using to make this kind of new product so just to speak to that so is that just um people would be more inclined to use something if they can have more ownership over it and then they can like manipulate it to be more personalized is that like is that like how in like basketball video games you can like make your own jerseys and stuff like that it's kind of similar yeah well that's that's great yeah there's um i mean it's interesting you bring that up because there's a whole um book by uh, a scholar called henry jenkins called convergence culture which Mm -hmm. talks a lot about the ways in which contemporary identities is formed by the media in which we engage and so how a lot of who we are is based on the brands that we identify with right and so much of that for a lot of these companies is um making it possible for people to use their brand use their products in a way that's self-expressive oh yeah so that it's not just about oh i want that thing i'm gonna buy it but this thing is who i am yeah right and so i give this thing free advertising because you know, I wear the name of it on my body. I, um, you like it on Facebook. I like it on like, Facebook. Yeah, I make brands. my Twitter handle have something to do with it. Right. Yeah. So, and this could be anything from Harry Potter to Nike to whatever. Mm-hmm. Right. Wow. It's like everywhere. Everything yeah. is everywhere, Maria. Okay, is this the time where I get to talk about the Hunger Games? Let's please talk about the Hunger Games. Okay, because... Yeah. (laughs) I feel like we can't talk about the military entertainment complex without talking about the Hunger Games. So I feel we have to talk about this. Let's get on it. Okay. So, the Hunger Games. Uh, Let's first talk about how it it, it represents the... um, the military entertainment complex, like yeah. on a fundamental level. Yeah, I mean, it's to me, it's like a glaring critique, right, of the way in which this works. Mm-hmm. So, for those of you who haven't seen it in a couple of days, um, <laughs> in the Hunger Games, right? Ha- Hunger Games is set in this dystopian future North America country called Panem, and the government requires the twelve districts to annually participate in these horrific games where two tributes to teenagers from each of the districts have to fight to the death in an arena that is publicly televised and everybody's forced to watch it and it kind of hits two audiences at the same time it hits the audiences uh, in the districts and reminds them that the capital has the power to kill their children um, at will and it hits the capital which is the kind of home front um, and it, it serves as a form of entertainment that distracts them from the cruel realities of their own country and uh, for those of you who are uh, eager listeners you probably have noticed that panem comes from the phrase panem et circensis which is latin and i apologize for my horrific latin which uh, is latin for bread and circuses right which is a kind of the satirical um way of talking about uh kind of the opiate for the masses um using food and uh, entertainment as a way to distract people from the horrors that a regime is committing right right and so and a huge part of of the film 
uh, and the book series is the kind of the reality show that's constructed around this fierce fighting. And on a meta sense, you know, you're you're witnessing this, but so are kind of the, the entire, so is the entire country. And the reality show element of it, like, is not, I mean, it's a huge part of what goes on. The theater of it, the theatrics, the way to manipulate the crowds. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think, like, people call it a searing critique of, you know, of the complex. But in some sense, um, there's a real question as to whether us, like us, the world who consumes the movie in particular, um, are playing into that. Actually, yeah. a part of it. Are we just participating? So, what would you say? Ooh, good question. I mean, I think there's a big difference between the books and the film in that sense. How so? Because in the book, so the books are first person uh, narration by Katniss, the main character, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're inside the mind, basically, of the oppressed person in this scenario, mm-hmm. right? And so everything that you're experiencing is through the horror of this happening um, from the inside, as opposed to the entertainment of watching it from the outside, which is not to say it's not entertaining. So there's still an issue there, right? Yeah. But it's not the same as the kind of visual spectacle of watching people kill each other, right? It gets a lot trickier when you start with the movies, and I know that the advertising um, campaign for the Hunger Games movies yeah. took this very seriously. They banned the phrase, let the games begin. The um, commercials never showed any killing um, because they were really aware, I think, of you know the context of this film, which is about the, uh, the horrors of this kind of death as entertainment, mm-hmm. um, but doesn't change the fact that when you actually get to the movie, right? Yeah. I'm not sure I knew that, like that that, that was kind of a deliberate editorial choice. Um, I, I think I find it really interesting the distinction you make between the book and the movie. And I wonder if a different editorial choice could have been made in the creation of the movies to kind of stay in her head or present things from Katniss's perspective um, and what sort of impact that might have had. That's yeah. a great question. I mean, this is a huge question for filmmaking, right? Yeah. I remember reading somewhere, I can't remember where now, I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but I remember reading somewhere the uh, phrase, novels are about what happens inside people, films are about what happens between people. Oh my God. Smart, Deep. right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah bam. Yeah. I wish I remember who you <laughs> were, or you who wrote that. Um, but right, this idea that, um, you know, with, with words, you can go through someone's thoughts, right? You can experience what they experience not only in terms of like the physical activities, but also the emotional life and thought processes. Whereas in a film, it's just very hard to capture that with, except without constant narration. And who wants that? Yeah. Right. Yeah. It can be tiresome. Yeah. Um, so, so I think we're probably aligned in thinking that the series of movies becomes a part of the, the military entertainment complex. I mean, that's a question, right? I mean, so this is super interesting to me because I mean, on the one hand, the movies do encourage awareness, mm-hmm. right, about the ways in which governments use entertainment to um, pacify us and mollify us and not make us notice the, hor- the horrors that make our lives comfortable. Mm-hmm. Uh, but on the other hand, a lot of the um, advertising right now comes from the perspective of the capital, right? So like yeah. the recent trailers for the uh, second and third movies, especially the third movie, I think, yeah. Um, it's all like um, from inside the capital and there's like... You know, so eerie. And there's capital couture and they're selling yeah. makeup and they're doing other things, basically treating us consumers as if we are the capital, which we are. Yep. Um, and so <laughs> it's maybe a good reminder, but the, you know... The way, what we do with that is, you could say it's up to us. Um, so I don't know. I, I don't know. It's a good question. 
I think it brings us back to some of the rest of what we're talking about, which is this is kind of an overt critique and hopefully causes the masses to think. Like in Thailand, where um, student protesters are using the Hunger Games three-finger salute as a sign of dissidence. Wow. Yes. And in fact, the third Hunger Games movie has been banned from some cinemas, um, and people speculate that it could have something to do with that political symbol. Hmm. Are you? Are you? So you were reading about the military entertainment complex for the first time recently. And so I guess what was it like for you to find out about this? So, like, I think in theory, I know that there are all these systems at work around me and they kind of conspired to create my, like, the world as I experience it. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, in theory, I know this exists. Like, I know plenty, you know, plenty of industrial complexes exist. But kind of reading reading more concretely about the really close relationship between the studios in particular and film in particular and and the military um, and then like gaming in the military really terrified me. I think it terrified Why? me especially because um, I like to think people should be able to like, you know, like have the freedom to do what they want. But I think without consent or without knowledge, you really don't know what you're experiencing and how to interpret it. And I think... You know, there's so much psychology that goes into um, that goes into gaming and creating video games, and kind of, it, as far as I understand it, it feeds on a lot of like impulses we have as human beings, right? And it creates like satisfying experiences mm-hmm. and whatever else. I just feel like this reminded me that there are all sorts of things in play, and this, as opposed to like the wedding complex, whatever, like is especially pernicious because it feeds on young people, like in a life or death way mm-hmm. that, that is just so, uh, disconcerting and it made me kind of feel ill and it made me definitely, I mean, I can't relate to the video game, so I really don't get it, but it makes me really wary of like, especially like, you know, first person shooter type video games. Mm-hmm. Like I don't even want like anyone around me to, to mess around with that stuff. Yeah, Long rant. <laughs> no, I love it. I mean, this is the thing. So I know it's not the theory for today, but Benedict Anderson um, wrote this book called Imagine Community that's been super influential for thinking about what nationhood is. Uh-huh. And his idea, in short, is that a nation is an imagined community, <laughs> right? That yeah. people, yeah. yeah, so that people imagine themselves to belong to this one community. Um, so even if they've never met each other and even if they've never seen each other, they have a sense of what the nation is, yep. right? And his argument is that this really kind of exploded in the 19th century because of the rise of print, um, like industrialized print, right? Uh-huh. So like cheap newspapers. So people could read the news every day and they could find out what was happening all over the country and get a sense of like what their nation was and what it was up to, mm-hmm. right? So, okay. So I'm bringing this up because we now live in a society where the kinds of information that we get about ourselves and about each other um, increasingly comes across a wide variety of media. Right. Yep. And the military entertainment complex is about information. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's about using other forms of media to inform the public and into thinking about themselves in a certain way. Right. And especially in the case of the United States and thinking about what America is. Right. And America in relation to its military. And 
I don't know if that's necessarily a bad thing. Mm-hmm. It is creepy to know that it happens without our really being aware of it. I think that's the that's the main creepy part about yeah. all of this, right? It's yeah. just like we don't have any moments of awareness like while we're consuming it. Yeah. And I, and I think maybe the creepy thing about ISIS video, the ISIS video is that um even though we're really aware of it, now we're seeing a actor, a non-state actor, creating an imagined community, right? Using yeah. this kind of media and trying to reach people around the world who might be able to identify with it. Even if, and this is what totally blows my mind, even if those people are from the West um, and into Western media, right? So they're able to use Western media as a way to spread their own message of anti-Westernness. So maybe we can kind of think about some takeaways here. Um, should we feel hopeless? Like, do you, like I'm feeling kind of hopeless right now, Maria. No, don't yeah. feel hopeless. Feel like maybe we need to learn how to mod video games, though. Yeah, seriously. I mean, so like if if we're consuming stuff all the time that has um, that has money behind it or like other interests behind it, like what? what hope do kids have? Like, what hope do we have for, like, other folks when they're consuming this stuff? Like, what sort of policy and or other changes might help people in, in being more aware? That is such a great question. Yeah, I'm just, like, asking you to solve all this. No, like, this right is now. such a great question. I don't know the answer either, but, I mean, it is a great question because it also depends on what we as a nation, right, think is important in terms of how aware we feel we should be about who funds are but this everything. is so fun. Like, who needs to be aware of anything? Video games are awesome. <laughs> yeah, movies are awesome. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so, so, so one of the things we'd read about was, like, potentially, like, having a disclaimer about who fed into or, or consulted on or received benefit from, like, the movie. Like, do, does that, like, does that matter? Would that have an impact? I mean, it might for some people, you know what I mean? And for some people, it might make them want to go see it more. Yeah, so I think it it would be a good start. Um, But I do also think that it's not necessarily going to deter people. I think that it might actually make some people more excited about these products, which is, you know, not necessarily a bad thing. Right, they're like maybe more authentic because they had, you know, like the real weapons or the real simulation or whatever else. Yeah, or, you know, maybe people want films that they have a sense of what is the U.S. military gone ahead and said okay to in terms of a script. Yeah. You know, for whatever reason. So, I mean, it's... in. I'm always a big believer in, like, lifelong learning and awareness, <laughs> right? And so I think it's better to know yeah. um, if you can. Um, you know, but at the end of the day, the question is, do people care? Do they yeah. want to know? Or, like in Panem, do they just want to be distracted by the fritz and the fun? You know? Well, we'll leave our listener to think about that. If you've got questions, comments, or ideas, we'd love to hear from you at intheorypodcast at gmail.com. You can also find past podcasts and more info about us at intheory.us. Please subscribe to us on iTunes and recommend us to any and all of your friends. In Theory is produced with the support of Experimental Humanities and Human Rights Radio at Bard College. Music composition and art design by the amazing Aaron Taylor Waldman. Thanks for listening.